Welcome everyone to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. Uh, I'm your host, Carter Learn, and I'm joined as always on Deprogrammed by the lovely Carrie Smith in a hat. Carrie, say hello. Hello, Carter. <laughs> Our guest today had some hats too. I know, he out-hatted you. Uh, so maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, I, without further ado, why don't I introduce our guest? Um, today we're joined by Benjamin Boyce. Benjamin is a content creator focusing on investigative journalism and long-form interviews. His topics of interest include postmodernist activism as it applies to race, gender, and identity, and individuality. Uh, he has one cat at this time, in case anyone was wondering. Um, you can follow him on social media at youtube.com slash C slash Benjamin A. Boyce, uh, on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce, and on thinkspot.com at Benjamin Boyce. Links to all of that will be in the show notes, so you can just go uh, do that. Benjamin, welcome to Unsafe Space. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Carrie and Carter. So, uh, here, I'm going to try and adjust so I can be... I'm going to... Can you? We're all three split screen. I'll try and sit in the middle so we can get all, all of us in the screen at once. Um, Benjamin, uh, I think most people are familiar with the drama at Evergreen State College, <laughs> but uh, maybe you can maybe you can just start by really giving a general overview and then relating it to what you see happening out, outside of colleges right now, and then we'll just jump into all the fun stuff. And we have a lot of new viewers who may not be familiar. So, oh, fair. I, yeah, a summary would okay. be great. Yeah, let, let me, let's see if I can summarize <clears throat> it. Uh, so in 2017, on May 23rd, a group of protesters uh, at the Evergreen State College showed up outside of the classroom of Brett Weinstein and uh, confronted him about his racism. He evinced this racism through a series of emails uh, written in protest of uh, a, a college-wide equity plan, which was seeking to reorganize the college around the concept of equity, which is not equality. And the proponents of equity will say constantly it's not equality. He, Brett Weinstein, argued against the equity proposal, and he also argued against this uh, phenomena called the day of absence. The protesters uh, confronted his class, and then there was a minor scuffle with the police, and then they proceeded to the library building, and over the course of that afternoon, um, performed a struggle session where they yelled and processed and broke down and collected the administration and the faculty because, according to them, the college was racist. They then, on the 24th, which was uh, that Wednesday, they then performed another blockade. They took over the library building. They went around campus, rounded up professors, and uh, kind of held the administration hostage or just blocked them in the room until they enacted another struggle session where the president, George Bridges, uh, conceded and conceded and conceded to what they want. Anyway, so a week of protest occurred and they live streamed all of that onto the internet. I believe it's reasonable to assume that the students thought that they were in the right and that it would be uh it would be <laughs> obvious sorry <laughs> sorry Carrie it would be brings a guest <laughs> it's all right we're at, if we're getting all the triggers out of the way right, right yes right, so. <laughs> sorry guys ptsd um 
So the students uh, live streamed it thinking that the world would be on their side. It turns out that the world wasn't quite on their side. Uh, they, Brett Weinstein then went on Fox News and the story spread across the internet because the footage is phenomenal. It's just phenomenal footage. The way that the students were behaving is over the top. And when you actually look at what they're asking for, it's really difficult to find out what they really want other than, I would assume, largely speaking, power or centrality um, with regards to the institution. I was a student at that time. I was on campus when this occurred. I was in one of my last classes was uh, right after the protest and the professor staged a struggle session where the black students yelled at the white students because we were silent. And then when we asked what we were supposed to say, they said, shut the fuck. Oh, sorry. They, they told us swear. to shut up That's in <laughs> no uncertain terms. Um, and the event was not not this is an overused term it, it was rather traumatic to to be on campus and to watch the entire uh, mood of this educational institution turn into one of lockdown and of no discourse and of there's a right way of seeing things and everything else is the wrong way of seeing things i had been i was about to graduate i had been going there for about four and a half years i was working in the media department i had watched and I would been I had been on camera, like manning the camera. You're not supposed to say manning at the Evergreen State College. I was helming. <laughs> you were personating the camera. The camera. <laughs> Cameras have no gender, just photons. Um, I was on camera or behind the camera, uh, watching uh, seminar, lecture, workshop after seminar, lecture, and workshop, promoting this anti-racist pedagogy without any sort of criticism or dialogue or pushback. It was like, this is what we think about race in America. And to, to encapsulate this theory that they pushed upon the students, um, they, they basically said that it's not okay to not see race, that colorblindness is actually offensive, that you're denying people's reality and their lived experience if you do not see their color. By the end of 2017, nobody could see anything but color. Every color was front and center. That was the only thing that was really real. That was the cultural capital of the day. I was, um, for some reason, I, I was watching YouTube and how people were making product with all the footage and I saw people making stories out of this story, but nobody really had the inside Nobody was there. Nobody was telling about how this thing happened. They were watching the students behave this way, but they they didn't see why they were acting this way. There was a lot of weird terms about whiteness being the most violent system to ever breathe. And uh, all these sets of terms that are very common now were rather opaque. And so what I did was I began to speak out with a certain um, thesis that what the college was attempting to do was to force everybody to see every individual as a marker of their identity. And I, I exhumed and I laid out over the last three years all the footage that I could find and uh, lots of emails and other internal documents to, to show the, progress, the progression of this way of thinking 
that starts out as being anti-racist and then turns into probably the most racist thing that I can personally imagine. Um, though there's there's more uh, egregious, more violent forms of racism, but in action and in deed and in conception, it's thoroughly racist. Now, do you think it actually started out as anti... I mean, you say it started out as anti-racist. I know that's the label, um, but I I haven't seen an origin that even looks anti-racist to me in terms of the where this came from. Well, um, I would highly suggest you guys speak with uh, James Lindsay or Helen Pluckrose about the origins of critical race theory and postmodern theory in general. They have... Uh, they have... For anyone who doesn't know, we do have interviews with each of them on Deprogram, if you guys haven't seen them yet, if, if, for our new people. So yeah. I, I would not be able to give an accurate or non-embarrassing recount of the ideas themselves. I can say that what I saw was in 2015, the college president comes uh, onto the scene and he says that Despite the advances of the civil rights movement, our country is still embroiled in racism and we need to deal with this now. This is an urgent problem. And we will have lectures and workshops starting tomorrow. And these are going to be uncomfortable conversations where we are going to be safe and confront these horrors of, of modern times. And and immediately I was I was again, I was on camera, I was watching these professors begin to enact these ceremonies, really. They were not even like academic events. They were really were ceremonies. And uh, to this day, they're still defending these as, as uh, righteous non-ways, non-Western or non-white ways of knowing, um, which is kind of, it's a whole other conversation, but. Well, I mean, it's, it's so a related I, I have... conversation, right? Because, I mean, one of the things that I think surprises people. So if anyone hasn't watched your uh your series on evergreen they should absolutely go over to your channel and check it out um it's what is it like 19 or 20 videos it's a it's a long in-depth series um but one of the things that you'll see is you'll see students say things that seem uh absolutely ridiculous but they say them with a straight face and i think that they're rooted in some of the um some of that critical theory philosophy that's been um, permeating in universities for, for quite some time. So there was one that I wrote down that said, uh, one student said to Brett Weinstein, you need to stop demanding that everybody use logic and reason and white forms of knowledge. And uh, I mean, that to me is pretty racist. It's an, it's an implication that uh, non-white people don't use reason and logic, that they have some other cognitive apparatus for dealing with the world, which I would be insulted by if I were were not white, um, but that kind of stuff is based on some some real fundamental flaws in in the philosophical foundations of universities. I have some questions about. So, thank you for the overview and the summary for people who don't know. One one of the reasons I want to talk to you is that. So, I used to be one of these. Uh, students who spoke this belief system, but it was a long time ago. It was 20 years ago. Um, but, I, but I continued to speak it for a long time, and I spoke it in my career. I pushed it. Um, and one of the things I've noticed, we've been doing this show now for, oh my gosh, Carter, almost two years now, maybe? Is and Yeah. Well, in October or November, I think it will be. Okay. But um, one of the things we try to do is is 
is explain a little better about what my old belief system was versus what it claims to be. And I do contend that it actually at its roots, it is a racist belief system. It's, it's just that there are people in it who believe that it's anti-racist. Um, and, and they really, you know, with good intent, a lot of people will push it. Um, but so what's happened in the past few weeks is I've seen this stuff that we've been talking about for the past couple of years has now permeated the mainstream. And I'm sure you are getting lots of messages from people because I am and we don't have quite the following you do yet and I'm getting messages from people who are scared who are suddenly like oh I I think I understand what you've been talking about all this time and I really want to talk to you to kind of help people if they if they weren't familiar with Evergreen to encourage them to go watch your series it's called the complete Evergreen story like Carter mentioned what looking at Evergreen as a blueprint for what's happening now in the mainstream everywhere around us what similarities have you seen already in their tactics? So um, I'm going to get into a little detail. And the way that I prefer to speak about this stuff is just to tell the story about what happened. Um, I get lost really easily in theory, uh, not because I'm not smart. I'm probably not smart, but because I just get really associative with all the ideas and I start playing around with them and I forget about making a point. I just start playing. Um, but what happened was that on... May 15th, one of uh, one of the Evergreen students who would end up being a, a leader of the hostage taking, um, he posted a post on Facebook that said, we want a mostly black and people of color class about media to examine the ways in which black people and other people of color have been represented and misrepresented. And then another student who turns out to be Puerto Rican and Native American and white, so he's of a non. I, I hate. I still. No hate. one likes to have to do this. It's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so another person of color, but not, but not. Eventually, in the literature that the students produce, he's a lesser person of color because of, they actually break <laughs> him down by his melanin count. <laughs> a person of less color. He's a non-black student of color. Like that, that's how it, it. It's really crazy um, when they get into it. But anyway, so so Kiave, so Jamil writes this letter about wanting a mostly black and people of color class, and then Kiave writes another Facebook post that says, "Let's have a mostly white class to examine how white people have been misrepresented and this and that thing." And that post was deemed utterly racist, and he was dogpiled. And this was ironically or not, in the Facebook class of 2020 Evergreen page. These this 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 cohort, they they did the test run of what we're experiencing now, and now they're graduating at the peak or the the return of of this ideology. So I, I bring that up because the way in which the student body converged on social media to squelch dissenting views and to limit the not just the window of acceptable discourse in the sense of what you can talk about, but how you can talk about things. It, it's inappropriate to to engage in humor in irony, in any other form of relating information or relating to the facts other than this kind of sanctimonious, um, very literal interpretation of this dogma. So it's it's a very inflexible uh, mindset, and, it, and it's self 
enforces itself so that it, it will push aside any dissenting view or dissenting way or, or way of viewing the thing that would shake it up or make it co complex. And I see that a lot happening now where you have on Facebook and on Twitter and on uh, even, even with businesses, everybody's discourse is being policed. If you're silent, you're complicit, right? Which is kind of weird because this is the same kind of contingent that says that you have to say I do every five minutes during a sexual encounter. Now being silent is somehow um, consent. And um, so that that's one that's one thing that caused that dominant narrative to engulf the entire student body, the entire um, the the entire campus, so that nobody could actually stop or slow down the the series of escalating events that led to that that protest, and then and then went it went nuclear once it hit hit the web. But there was no, and when I. Sp when I, I've spoken with Brett Weinstein about this and asked him why did he go to Fox News, you know that was a big no, and he was to this day he's still that that's his sin that he went on to Fox News and he called the alt right Nazis upon Evergreen and and people who say that don't realize the power of of YouTube and the power of the internet to actually show what these students did, um, but his not his justification, but his explanation is that he was locked into this framework uh, that was so tight that didn't allow any discourse that he had to go outside of the framework in order to talk about it. He had to break out of this very tight uh, community in order to say, to speak his case. What I worry about is that now, where can we do that now? If, if all major media companies and Twitter and Facebook decide to enforce a certain form of uh, deciding what's hate speech, what's acceptable, what, what form of communication, what words are acceptable and not acceptable, where can we go to actually examine these ideas or critique them when these ideas are formulated in such a way that they they squash all squash all dissent and freeze us from actually engaging with them in any sort of playful or or, or critical manner. Yeah, I mean, and even the alternate channels that you would imagine, like YouTube, uh, aren't neutral on this and are are starting to 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 clamp down. You know, I've I've got a question about you know watching the watching the students' behavior at Evergreen. Uh, as an outsider, it kind of feels like an anthropologist because there's just like, you're. It's like, what are what are the customs in this society? This is a very strange society, um, and you know, I I was wondering if like, did it did the? Do you ever see the movie? Um, do you ever see the movie Kingsman? Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, I Carrie's wondering where I'm going I with this. So. There was there was a. <laughs> There's a uh, the bad guy, the villain, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson, has this chip in smartphones that makes everyone have uncontrollable rage. His, his plan is to purge the population by having them fight each other, and it's just irrational, uncontrollable rage. And watching the Evergreen students during that time, it, it felt like really trying to engage them is not a good idea because they're, they're at, there's a level of rage that's palpable that's just appeasing them won't work, agreeing with them won't work, uh, Arguing with them certainly won't work. That there is no capability to listen when you're that emotionally jacked up. Uh, you just can't. You can't hear. And I wonder. I wonder if did they return to some more stable state, capable of having a dialogue three weeks later, or or are they always this jacked up? 
Uh, okay, so just looking at the resources that I have on what happened, and I think that this might be a predictive model of what's going to happen in our current cultural moment. The energy is expended and can't sustain itself. That that rage and that you know that outburst it, it wears itself out. What actually happened in the wake was that the protest leaders were given positions of power to rewrite the student code of conduct, to give the freshman orientation on race relations the next year. And what actually ended up happening was that the George Bridges administration, he's the current president, um, and he was the president then, he used this event to clamp, clamp down on interfaculty communication and to install even more administration uh, with regards to equal opportunity, like this Office of Civil Rights, um, which has the effect of making every student complaint viable for a, you know, an investigation. So if, if your student, and I've received some very quizzical complaints that then tie up professors and this, you know, this really like this Orwellian kind of, are you speaking the right thing? Are you offensive? Are you not offensive? So, so the, the actual process of educating is now filtered through this lens of appropriateness and of hair triggered offense. So in a way they've doubled down. Um, and okay, so you asked about the sustained range. What what I'm expecting to see, and if you and this is what I'm critiquing or examining right now, is how municipalities and corporations and institutions will use this to solidify even more control over their workers and over citizens by means of this righteous sounding thought policing. So that that that's gonna be the lasting effect of this. People are going to have so much moral angst and desire to see justice now, and, and you see that. And, and this is something that maybe we could tease apart, because there is a certain amount, unlike Evergreen, Evergreen had nothing really, it, the, the basis of the protest isn't really there. Like, when you look at it, there's no real actual racism other than against white men, actually. That's the only racism right. and discrimination that I've actually had right. documented. Um, but but with regards to the American story, there's plenty of evidence to support this narrative. And there's a lot of moral desire from good, uh, well-meaning individuals to see reforms and stuff. What we need to do is separate just reforms and, and further progress from this regressive set of ideas that's labeled anti-racism. So do you think, um, I mean, I, I, one thing that's striking to me is, and Carrie and I have talked about this, is that there are a lot of people, Conan O'Brien was the example that Carrie used the other day, but there's a lot of people who are really falling in line with the demands, right? Their, their response to these demands is, okay, yes, what words do I need to recite what actions do I need to take? How do I ceremoniously signify that I am uh, a I'm subservient to this ideology? Um, they, they call it ally. <laughs> yes. Yes. I like to say SJWs don't have friends; they have allies. Yeah, exactly. Which, and you lose them when you start to go against it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know. Um, just something about the the. 
a mass of students generally, you know, in, in a civilized society, one of the things that you try and do is, well, one of the things that you do in a civilized society is you condemn the initiation of the use of force in human interaction, right? So uh, we can disagree, but the moment I punch you for that disagreement, I'm at fault. Um, or if you threaten me and, you know, say, I'm going to punch you and it's a credible threat. If you don't agree, that's, that's the initiation of, of the use of force. You've brought force into our interaction where it otherwise wouldn't, wasn't. Um, and I was, I was realizing that these, these mobs full of people, there's, there's a few scenes in there where, you know, there's administrator backed up against the wall. There's only one exit. Uh, and that exit is being blocked by, I don't know how many dozens, at least, uh, maybe hundreds, I, I can't tell, of students. And they are angry, and they're screaming at this person, and they're saying, no, you can't go unescorted somewhere. Um, that is the initiation of the use of force. The mob is there to physically intimidate. That's why you form a mob. If they had grievances and didn't want to physically intimidate, they could have written them down, had a... Had a scheduled session with administrators to go through their grievances and, and have a, a more civil discourse. And I think what scares a lot of people is to see that the mob got its way. Like, it worked. This, tech, this tactic seems to work at Evergreen. Is it going to work everywhere else now? Is that where we are, where physical intimidation is the way to get your you know, voice heard? That's a good question, and and that's uh, one of the concerns that I had in dealing with the racist narrative of anti-racism that says that specifically white males are at fault and need to get to the back or to get to the front to do the bidding of this other group. And they had, Evergreen had lectures come in to argue against free speech after the protests, right? They, they, they are not apologetic of this at all. And the professor that they brought on, who was a professor of constitutional law, who was arguing against free speech because of hate speech and because in the history of the academy, these group of people didn't have a chance to speak. These ways of knowing were not heard. It's time for them to be heard and to be understood. And my problem with that is that, okay, Jonathan Haidt has a has a positive spin on that, that if you're a white male, you go to university after four years of being told that you're not good enough and that you need to shut up and do your work, you're going to be much more employable and a safer bet for a, for a corporation than the people who were empowered the whole time and catered to the whole time. Cause a, 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 a job doesn't want you to do anything, but shut up and get abused and, and do your work. I, my problem, though, is a little bit more skeptical, is that if you push this one group of people outside of society and say, you guys, one, you're at fault for everything that's happened to us, two, anything that you would say in your defense is further proof of your guilt, you need to, you need to either obey, obey us or go away, and if you don't obey us, we are going to call you the worst people that we can think of happening happens to be the Nazis. I'm sure people, oh, the KKK, whatever they have, they're running out of you know, examples. They only have those two or three names. What are those people going to do? They're going to leave. What they're going to do is see that they are being uh, focused with a hostile attitude 
and they have recourse to discipline and to uh, what's their other option. Uh, I mean, I could have broken radical and and I, I think that to a certain extent, I can still be criticized as being biased against progressivism and social justice, the social justice strain therein, because I was subject, subjected to this. But I've tried since leaving Evergreen to resist the to resist where they want me to go. They they want me to become a Nazi. They want me they to to be a bad guy. They they really want because that would make it easy. They wouldn't have to deal with anything. They want There's a no monster nuance. to fight. Yeah. And that's something we, we talk about a lot is they have, they they preach this uh, false narrative, and they've been preaching it now it, to the extreme for the past four years since Trump was elected, that there's this boogeyman, white supremacist, Nazi, you know, uh, huge influence in this country, which couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, that's one thing that everyone in this country is united on, which is that those people are racist nut jobs and they've been pushed to the fringes of society for a reason but what's happening is that they're bringing in they're manifesting what they want they're manifesting the boogeyman they want they're pushing people to that fringe and that's one of the things i'm most afraid of they, um, they've also expanded the fringe they they've yeah. uh, they they practice this thing i call phrase shifting where they take a term such as white supremacy that means something the worst thing possible right somebody yes. who would go around killing people of another race right and then they shift that to include every structure known to every institution the entire western canon the entire western academic tradition all of those are permutations of white supremacy and therefore your only option is to admit your white supremacy and try to be good or deny your white supremacy and and just be a white supremacist like there's no way out you just have to completely right. accept this totally negative designation well yeah. with a lot of these things there is no null hypothesis for any of these theories and i think one of the things that scares me mm -hmm. is normal people uh, people who are just living their lives who maybe graduated from college 40 years ago or whatever right um they they look at some of the justifications. So what the left has done a really good job of is they've done a, a good job of creating a body of, I'll say, I'll put scholarly in quotes, but at least academic work, even work should be in quotes probably, uh, <laughs> where that's, that's, that's outlining this system. And it's everything from Peggy McIntosh's knapsack article to uh, Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility book. And... They, it's painted with this patina as coming out of academia, and people, when they, uh, normal people think of academia as, uh, oh, this is where uh, very smart people do very rigorous peer-reviewed research, and, and only, you know, the best of ideas come out of academia, and they're rooted in fact and very well uh, vetted, when in fact, these are just made-up, uh, unsupported claims that push their agenda and but they've referenced each other enough and there's a body of work and so one of my big concerns is people on the outside look at this and it's very hard to un it's it's designed to be difficult to untangle right so and and it comes with this patina of legitimacy so mm. i think a lot of people are just like oh oh every you know i guess the court system is <laughs> white supremacy and mcdonald's is white supremacy and 
universities are white supremacy and working is white supremacy and like okay Free speech and individualism and i guess that's been all... proven meritocracy by smart academics. hard work right. protectionism yeah 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 and i think that's really really dangerous um i i want to talk about some of the to get back to some of the similarities that that at least i've seen um, I wanted. I wondered if you could speak to the because because we've been watching. I don't know if you you've been following it, but we've been watching the SJW online mobs in the knitting world on Instagram, okay. and the okay and the and the the way that they mob people and the, it's the same belief system. It's just playing out in this digital sphere among knitters of all people. And uh, um, one of the things we've noticed is every time they attack a new small business owner. There's there's two choices. You can apologize. You can bend to the mob's will. And they're trying to use force. They're trying to use bullying, intimidation, har- harassment, all this. You can do that, and you can make the forced apology. And I think, or or you can stay true. You 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 know who you are. You can stay true to what you believe, and you can refuse to do that. And I think people see this over here. The standing for yourself and and standing for truth and refusing to apologize. I think they see that as the harder option. And in the short term, it is the harder option, perhaps. But in the long term, every one of these companies that's bent the knee, they're mocked for it. Their first apology is always rejected. They have to make multiple apologies. Then there are multiple demands that follow. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that uh, you know, the pointlessness and because when I saw some of those videos, if people haven't seen them, the videos of the college president. Could you talk about George, how they humiliated and mocked him? Yeah. Yeah. They, they <laughs> continually, they, they kept on uh, figuring out ways to interrupt him. So he would go along and try to get more details from them or try to explain his position about how he's really on their side. And he, he basically put them up to this. Like that, that's the irony. He, he put this all in place to happen to him. And so he's trying to say that we are here for you. We're going to give you what you want. And like, what, why are you using your hands, George? Why stop using your hands, George? And there's this one beautiful moment where, um, where, where the student, where one of the students yells out that they, the cops were coming and they were macing us for just trying to say our truth, you know? And he's like, oh, they were they used mace? And then another protester says, it's not that they used mace, it's that they had mace on them. You're not <laughs> listening to us, right? So and it, it's just, they constantly move it. And the, going through, and there's that, on the 23rd, there's that protracted, probably two or three hour struggle session um, in a particular room where, where you describe where the administrators are up against the wall and everybody's around them and, and constrict and con, con, concentric circles of melanin. And, and I, 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 I've gone through and I've transcribed a good portion of that and kind of like meditated on it for a long time and kind of get past the point where I'm reacting to it and just like really just get into it and kind of be calloused to my own gut reaction to people acting that way. One question that I have and that I've, I've wondered about a lot is why did it not go violent? They got right up to the edge of violence, but nobody touched anybody. There was, there was one scuffle in the middle of the night, um, a couple weeks later, uh, where the bat mob, the community policing and accountability team that there's this wonderful 
immortal picture of them all yes. like with their wiffle bats and neon hair and stuff floating around on the internet and they have a scuffle with uh some tricksters who are wanting more class and uh limp biscuit to make a comeback um and accusing brett weinstein of doing it all for the nookie and stuff like that you know just jokesters um but but in that moment of of serious mob fury they don't really they don't it's like they're practicing and somebody yeah. I think it was a somebody who has a lot of smarts in them, a biologist or something like that, spoke to me about how when uh, a wolf pack of cubs, a, cub, a pack of cubs, they, they kind of play at being violent. And they don't actually go all the way. They're just kind of like, mm. they're exercising this activity. And I don't think that, and I think that they kind of knew that if they went violent, then they would have lost. So they did everything except that. And that really shows us that, we've allowed this realm of discourse that is basically harassment that if it was any other color doing that to any other color even one-tenth of that would be considered violence and would be soundly mocked across all media sources but that they went completely nuclear and no media source really got into that or could really look at that it shows that we we are allowing that level of discourse to be there for some reason we're allowing these mobs to form for some reason and i think it might have to do with the ways in which our reality has been shaped by social media and how we are kind of uploading ourselves into a subtle world like this astral world that's made out of pure communication it's it's made out of pure expression and so young people who've grown up in that see expression as violence and they and they perpetuate that violence too and that's kind of a half-formed thought um that that's a bundle of half-formed thoughts but those yeah. are some thoughts on that no i i i think it i think it makes sense i mean the the wolf analogy is pretty disturbing to me because it also implies you know when 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 pups play at being violent, um, I get the sense that like it's kind of encouraged, right? There's an environment created for that. Sometimes, like the the adult will go get a disabled or small uh, piece of prey and let the the cubs, you know, practice on it. And you know, really, that makes it sound like the university is prepping for actual violence when these kids graduate like hey you're gonna have to be able to do this and then carry it to its logical conclusion you know don't do the logical conclusion now in your university because by the way uh george um what's his name george bridges, bridges. he is on their side as far as i can like from the outside he's 100 percent on their side they're just very angry so he doesn't get a chance to speak and he's not you know moving fast enough for them mm. or whatever but he is on their side um it it almost seems like an intentional cultivation of mm. uh, well, there was <laughs> civil that, war. I don't know. If you look at okay, I'm going to bring up Chaz. Mm -hmm. um, yep. or yes. They want to be called Chop now. Uh, Capitol Hill uh, operational pejorative. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I think it's occupied the, okay, something. I don't know. Oh, okay, yeah. province. Nah, who knows. <laughs> Okay, so I have friends that have gone up there and have given me a more holistic view of the place as kind of rather communal and not necessarily an evil thing um, that, that you can see if you just selectively look at clips. 
So I'm just going to give that a, as a disclaimer. This is just one person with a microphone at Chaz, and he's saying it's not Chaz, it's Chop. And remember the French Revolution? And remember what they did to people who don't agree with them? Chop, chop, chop. So that discourse, that level of language, even if it's crowdsourced to the loudest person getting the mic, that there's still people chanting on it. It should be to some degree, and I, I want to be it's hard to be nuanced. It's hard to say, okay, this is symbolic, but at the same time, it's not. And we we've entered into this morally righteous cause that justifies everything that aims in one direction, which would be the equalization of the human race to all one level playing field in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the banks, in the eyes of every given rubric. They want equality. So anything that goes in that direction is acceptable because it's furthering that cause. But at the same time, if you see what happened at Evergreen, and Brett Weinstein has said this much more eloquently than I can, it's that you can't really tell apart the narcissists and the sociopaths from the true believers in actual justice. Yes. You, the, you can't really tell them apart until this magic line occurs where the oppressor becomes the victim and the way that they treat that, that victimized oppressor, right? And that's, it reduces everybody to either a victim or an oppressor and then victimizes the oppressor and uh, oppresses the victim. I, it, they swap it out at that magic moment. And at that magic moment, you can see people for who they really are. And you can see the, the struggle sessions. I don't know how they do it at the knitting circle if they all get their little needles and start like rubbing them together at evergreen. It was the, it was the snapping, but um, there's that, that weird pitch where things become <clears throat> hair's breadth away from. Yeah. So the French, I saw that clip where they're all <laughs> chanting chop, chop, like chop their heads off. And I had just watched a documentary on the French revolution. And I don't think I don't, most SJWs that I know are not students of history. They're not learning history. And in fact, you know, this ideology is said history is white supremacist. So There's no reason to learn it. Um, I just watched this documentary and I don't think they realize this gets to my point about like joining the mob doesn't help you. They are still going to chop your head off. Um, Robespierre, it, you know, he was the architect of the terror. Where all of these people who were pushing pushing the, the guillotine ended up at the guillotine. <laughs> like... <laughs> They came for him. It, 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 yeah, it, it, there's this, um, it's like a shockwave of bloodlust and it will eat everything that's in its path. Even that which is purporting to serve its cause, it will eat up until it expends itself. So once it goes, once it goes critical, it, you just, it just has to run itself out and it will devour itself in the end because it, it's madness. It, it is no longer based on principles that root one in critical thinking. And it's not just the emotion. And that, that's the weird thing. It, it, there's this string of arguments that are very tenuous, very complicated, like you were bringing up. They're, they're uh, laundered through the academy that, that hide the fact that this thing is it's it's summoning it's summoning some really deep dark forces and and you can think of it as a as a kind of a metaphysical force and and if you think about uh, biblical terminal terminologies powers and principalities there's something proto-human about it that will devour every human that it's made out of um and 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 i think that 
in my investigations of this, I've always wondered, and, and I, I moved away from the race uh, story because it felt too boxed in and too fraught uh, for me to always be engaged in. And I went over to investigating the transgender issue and contacted transgender individuals who don't go along with this kind of this trans rights activism kind of glob yes. that that's constantly enforcing a certain way of behaving online. And I'm just trying to investigate what makes somebody immune to that? What are the qualities that cause somebody to be immune to that? What are some of the steps that somebody goes through to get out of that, you know, and to resist it in the first place? You know, those are the real questions, right? So we can spend all day and and we we reach this point as an internet subculture of anti-SJW uh, product uh content creators, we can spend all day critiquing it and, and commiserating how awful it is. But you really have to understand why is it attractive to people and how do you convince them not to go down there? Like, those are the questions. Well, that, so that actually I, brings I, us along. to a question the, well, someone in the audience just uh, brought up, which is how can we get through to people who are, <laughs> who are so far gone? Um, I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about it, Carrie and I have talked about it as well. I don't, Carrie, did we? I don't think we've come up with good solutions so far. We've I mean, we've really only realized that it's self-driven and emotional based to even get them to open up to the point to ask the questions. And I don't know how to get that. You know, once that door's open a little bit, there's lots of stuff you can talk about. But getting that that you know that foot in the door, getting them mm-hmm. to consider even the possibility, uh, mm-hmm. and and calming it's- their emotions down enough that they could they could even question in any sort of objective sense what they believe. I don't. I don't have any answers. It was emotional for me. Carter knows this, but one of the first things that started to wake me up was seeing videos of people on my side, supposedly attacking Trump voters, attacking them outside of Trump rallies, physically assaulting people. And it moved me to tears watching these videos back to back because I had no idea that it was happening. And I didn't magically leave my old ideology the next day. But that was the beginning. That was like the crack for me in mm-hmm. what I had previously believed. I, I was going to ask you, what What about you? What made you immune to this while you were in mm-hmm. the, you were there at the college? Why do you think that you weren't a believer or were, did you ever question like, is something wrong with me that I'm not on board with this? Uh, yeah. You know, I was, I was, I, I, I've, spoken to that question before but today i saw something interesting there was a on twitter there was a hashtag or a trend about white blessing and i didn't watch the video but some ceo says that we need to think about it as a white blessing not white privilege and he was trying to just reframe it as in a more positive light to lessen people's reaction to it and there was somebody replying to them about a white person trying to make white privilege more acceptable to white people is the very definition of white fragility and they said white 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 and they just kept saying white 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 and like like okay and i just i was just like having this like cringe moment i'm like okay even even my reaction to that is is drawing me into it it's it and i just had this image of the iron maiden not the awesome rock band but just like the bill and ted you know iron maiden you know um and and what if it's just it's so claustrophobic 
it's just so claustrophobic. It's like, okay, I'm, I am white. I am white. You are black. I am like, and I have to feel this thing. And there's just no room to like actually uh, resonate with the bounty of life. Like there's no connection with that, which is the, the power and the source of, of all goodness in the world. It, it's so limiting and constricting and it pulls you down into this, concern and this care and then this guilt and the shame and it it hijacks those emotional compasses that i use to regulate my own behavior and i have a pretty strong this might be we're getting into psychology i don't want to sound like self-obsessed but i'm just trying to just understand what it is but i have a very strong guilt complex where i if i do something wrong or say something wrong i will stay up for nights thinking about that. If I make a mistake, like I just, I feed on that. Like there's some things that I've done and probably everybody can, uh, you know, relate to this. There's things that I'd done in 1994 that I still think about and like my whole body goes, no, you know? So I have such a strong reaction to doing something wrong that that has a lot of power over me, that my guilt and shame has the ability to change, to, to force me to change. I will not give that to anybody that is mine that that i'm not if somebody can take a hold of that they can do whatever they want with me and i lose my responsibility i will end up doing things that they think are right that i will then have to suffer through untold amounts of guilt to process out and they won't the person who told me to do that thing you know because of my guilt they're not going to have to pay for for the what I'm going to do to myself by following them. So, so it's, it's, it comes down to my own sovereignty and wanting to play with the world and be free to, to explore and to experience a wide range of things and not necessarily to deny the pain and oppression, but to really contextualize those contextualize them in an understanding of what it is to be human. What it is it, what it is it that we are working through here? What is it in the larger sense? There was, one moment in my last class that ended up with a struggle session where we were pouring over this document that a poet made where they took this ship manifest um, and it was from a slaver's ship and it was the captain's notes going through his cargo and the cargo was actual human beings, right? Which is really horrific. And we were pouring over that trauma and that ancestral pain that's, that's perpetuated and that, that whole narrative that they, that they, that they want us to believe in. And, and I asked the class, at what point do we see ourselves as the captain and the slave? And, and once we can see that, is that not when we actually move forward? And, and what happened at the Evergreen State College is that they concentrated so much on themselves being slaves that they had no choice but to become that slaver and to dehumanize everybody else. They, they were unable to, to really contain both of those states and, and, and pass through them. They, they got caught in that loop and just perpetuated it over and over again. And I don't want to be swept up in that. I mean, you're, you're almost... Uh... I don't want to. Th- th- this sounds accusatory of the uh, of the social justice people, so I, I don't I don't mean it to sound this way, but um, it almost seems to me that there's a, some sort of healthy sense of self esteem that's kind of necessary to be able to reject someone else's tra- someone else trying to place mm. unearned guilt on you. You have to have a like you seem to have this psychologically this desire for self preservation that I'm not sure that everyone shares. 
um, which I know sounds crazy, but there is a lot of dysfunction in the world. And I, I mm. you know, when I see, especially I see the the people washing the feet of other people and kneeling and um, and even even George putting his hands down, right? And like like sorry. meekly, sorry. right? Yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, there's just you can't. I, I I look at that and I think I, I see someone who has no respect for themselves in how they're they're just responding um and they're yeah, willing to yeah. just be the uh, someone else's puppet uh yeah there, there, and there's... they they mocked him for that like when yeah. you mentioned they told him your hands are aggressive or whatever you put your hands in your pockets he did like a like a toad he he it, it, like you said no self-respect he he complied he put his hands in his pockets mm. like a like a piece of dirt and then mm. they laughed at him and mocked him why because yeah. even they they don't have nobody has respect for that not yeah. the people demanding the people demanding it don't have respect for that either nobody has respect for that it was the, it was shocking to watch yeah it's it's very interesting to hear people's response to george they they it's very easy to call him a toad, to dehumanize him, because he kind of did that to himself. There's this piece of footage. Uh, Vice uh, came through, and they did a 10-minute, 12-minute documentary right after the protest happened, and they got some really choice interviews um, from the different uh, people in the story. And they asked, the interviewer says, so your students say to George, so your students say you're a white supremacist. Are you a white supremacist? And George says, no. Well, maybe. And the guy's like, wait, wait, what? He's like, well, it depends on what you mean by white supremacist. Am I a person who's white with a position of power and privilege? And it's like, okay. But the, the what I want to bring up and what I find troubling in the washing of the feet and the demanding for our mayors, the mayor of Olympia, she bowed to the mob and she had the uh, chief of police. When you have your authority figure bow down to the mob Everything that that authority figure represents also bows down to the mob. So when George Bridges goes up in front of the state legislature and they say, "Did you? were you safe allowing this? Why did you allow this happen? He says, well, I didn't like that they were accusing me of that, but I felt safe. I thought it was the best interest of everybody to not have the police there. And then another representative says, well, if they were any other group, would you have acted that way? If a bunch of white... Uh, you know, rural people came, would you treat them the same? And he kind of gets out of that. But he takes responsibility uh, for his own behavior. But what he ignores is that in ceding to the mob, the entire authority and the accumulated reputation of Evergreen as a whole, all the way down to the staff member, the, the, the mentally disabled staff member in the bathroom on the 24th of May, who was surrounded and hounded by these protesters she was justified their behavior was justified to her they were their, their behavior was justified all the way down the board everybody's reputation tied to evergreen is now he's his, his name is on my on my certificate what does my certificate mean it means that i will bow down to the mob like that's what his name means so when we have these leaders and we need to this is a big question because i think a lot of leaders nowadays 
see themselves as panderers. Like there's this inability to have strong leadership now. And, yes. and, and all we have now is, is Trump as strength, which is the it's the worst possible strong leader that you could have. That's what we deserve because we have lost our backbone. And George Bridges didn't not have a spine. He had a spine, but it was sinuous. His his vocal tonations change in every room he speak to to the people he's around. The way that he speaks, he'll take on the southern drawl if he's around the 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 black students, which is incredibly racist. And then he'll get really uppity and, and, uh, and terse when he's talking to, not uppity and terse, but like very formal when he's talking to the legislature. I think that's indicative of the crisis that we're seeing now with a lot of authority ceding itself to the protesters because we either have a vision of the abusive authority figure or the weak authority figure. There's no real, there, what are we missing there? Our culture is missing that that strong individual and if you see what you're bringing up with the the the, the i want to say quillette but the, the quilting people it's that it's testing the leadership and you can see if you stand against the mob you're going to lose a lot in the present but if you give to the mob you will they won't leave anything behind it's a it's a pack yeah. of piranhas so we, we are going through this and what's going to eventually be corroded is either either is either everything or the strongest things what what does it mean to be to have integrity? What does it mean to be actually righteous? What does it mean to actually serve your community? What does it mean to have actual empathy that doesn't uh, patronize and and infantilize that which those people who you have empathy for? It's really, it's a, it's a crisis moment in our civilization, but it's also a test and, and a wake-up call for us to return or, or figure out how to be good people surrounded by this technology in this time of the very this very slim moment of superabundance that we have it i want to like give a, you a standing snapation oh no you snap. <laughs> i'm sorry i'll give that you jazz hands excellent jazz uh, hands. it you. seems like um it seems like this is all related uh to back to what you said earlier this this um view of the world where everyone's divided between oppressors and, and the oppressed and what that means is that uh, if you have, if you're going to have strength of any kind, well, that makes you the oppressor. Uh, and if you're uh, not going to have strength or show strength in the situation, then then you're being oppressed. And what that rules out is two strong people interacting as equals with each other, neither oppressing nor being oppressed. Uh, that that dynamic seems to have been eradicated from. Uh, the 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 norms of social structure on campus at least from the evergreen mm -hmm. thing and I, that seems to be where we're going because i think george actually uh my suspicion about george is he, i think he's on their side but i think he's i, I think he doesn't respect them i think he's pandering and he's trying mm -hmm. to you know say what he needs to say to get the people that are the rabble rousers mm -hmm. to shut up and uh he views himself as an elite who is here to navigate the masses towards the same goal. They have a goal, but they're not, you know, mm. he needs to guide them in how to get there. And, uh, and he needs to pander to them when necessary. But he's not speaking to them as someone who actually respects them. Because if you respect those students, you say, you weren't a slave. You, <laughs> you say, like, you don't have a right to keep Brett Weinstein from leaving his office. What he said wasn't racist. Like, you need to be exposed to opinions that you don't like. You stand up to them and you confront them, and that's not oppressive. Um, 
But I, it mm-hmm. seems like that middle ground has been lost. I don't know if it's even a middle ground. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where that where it went. I mean, I guess we could chart where it went, but I think part of it is that the the university. This is this is just a theory, but if you see the the government started to subsidize student loans, enabling the universities to extract more resources from the students' future. Where did they put all those resources into the grounds and then into the administration and the administration? just ramped up over the time. There's some chart out there somewhere that shows that the increase of administration in higher education follows the same line with increased government aid to it. What you have is, and there's a lot of theories that are based on the Soviet Union, actually, about how a bureaucracy just perpetuates a bureaucracy. And so what do you have at the top? A A bureaucrat, his ultimate job is to secure and extend the bureaucracy. That is who he's serving. Now, George Bridges, he has spent his life fighting the justice system and trying to reform the justice system. His doctorate's in the disproportionate amount of African Americans in Washington state prisons. He's been on this whole equity train for for years and years and years. The problem isn't that the... The problem with equity, this whole diversity movement, might not be that it's formed out of these uh, these critical theories that are actually crazy. It might be that it's perfectly adapted to extend the reach of useless jobs, which which (laughs) are people telling other people what to do and what not to do. Like that is what it's actually designed to. And if you look at, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and and that's what we're going to see. You're all... We need to see the 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 cost of 2020 is all the people whose job we can okay COVID right all the COVID stuff but but the cost of this protest is going to be all the people who get canceled lose their job and all that all that money going away it'll guess it'll go to somebody and then all the money that's going to be poured into these diversity equity and inclusion programs it's going to be billions of dollars and and you would be kind of foolish to be doing what we are trying to save. Western humanity, when we could be making bank, if we just bowed to the mob, I mean, that is, you're, you're set. Well, I mean, you and me, Carter, we're, we're kind of fucked, but yeah, you know, we have no chance, <laughs> but Carrie, I there's still a chance that. for you. I thought you were the woman during these discussions, Carter. That oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to tell Benjamin. Uh, I identify as a woman during this discussion so that I get equal airtime with Carrie. Cause otherwise I have to just <laughs> shut up. Um, otherwise I would get 20% more. I, um, I, I think what you're talking about is it's exactly it's a great point. I think it's exactly right. I think it's I think it's both. I think it's that these this ideology is I call it evil. It's evil in my opinion because it turns it turns people who are against racism and sexism into puppets and mouthpieces for racism and sexism and they think they're they think preaching racism and sexism is it somehow opposing it. They did that to me for 2 decades. Um, that's why I call it evil. But so I think part of it is that this belief system is that the, the, all the cultural um, theories that that form the base of this that, that that it's flawed. But I also think, like you said, it it works hand in hand. It's it 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 builds up. There's an incentive there for people to preach it because you can make a lot of money doing it. And yes, these these um, Orwellian sounding departments at universities have all. It's already a bloat. I mean, I, I looked, I'm near Austin, UT Austin, I think I was reading an article, has like 100 staff members just in their 
their bureaucratic like office of diversity and inclusion. A hundred people. A lot of these people make six figures. And and what are what are the students paying for? They're paying for this these bureaucrats to indoctrinate them, and it's just going to get where we're at right now. You're right. It's just going to get worse. Yeah. 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 You know. Uh, one of the things that, that also struck me uh, just watching the videos, which just ties into all of this, is, um, you know, if you've ever been, for the, for people watching or, or you know, anyone who's ever been in, a, in business meetings or run a business, one of the things that you end up doing if you're in control of the purse strings is you're in a meeting and in your head, you're looking at the meeting, it's like a two-hour meeting and you're calculating like, crap, how much money is there's like 12 people in this meeting, that guy makes this, that guy makes this, that guy makes this, like, this person makes that much, like, wow, this is an expensive meeting, and you're calculating how much time and money you are wasting, talking about some stupid thing. And so, um, and it actually, you'll see um, more successful entrepreneurs are often very time conscious, they're just, you know, in, out, done, yeah. they don't have time for stuff, because their time's very valuable. I, I watched that video, and one of the things that I was thinking was, not only do you have these bloated administrations, and I think, by the way, uh, Benjamin, you're spot on that government loans play a role in this, absolutely. Um, but uh, <laughs> I was looking at the students and thinking, look at how much time is being squandered. And if this is, if they're here for four years, and this is mostly what they're doing, what a tragedy. So much human potential yeah. just flushed yeah. down the drain yeah. and wasted. They could yeah. be learning any, anything, anything from how to be a great poet to theoretical physics. It doesn't matter. They could be doing anything productive. And instead, mm -hmm. they are having mm -hmm. these uh, yeah. sophomoric, uh, yeah. teen-like kind of angst sessions where every little... Every minor uh, discomfort is dramatically catastrophized as like, I'm unsafe. Ah! Everything is like this huge catastrophe. Um, and they're spending all their time on that. And yeah, it's destructive, but it's also just a waste of, re mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we're wasting entire mm -hmm. generations of kids. Uh, yeah. I don't know how this bodes well for the future of our society, frankly. Yeah. There's a... Uh... You know, there's there's a question between, for me, like, does this ideology attract or build narcissistic sociopaths? What does it do? And yeah. if just Good watching question. my last couple years of Evergreen and watching how the purpose of every class and every program started to become more and more about trauma, it was more and more a psych psychology session and it was really bad psychology too like it was it was this weird like kind of aa meeting where you just like i'm uh, i'm benjamin and i have these pronouns and i'm white you know this is my privilege you know i can't get, get rid of it you know i can't get rid of it you know um but there, there's there's ultimately no god that's the problem there's no god yes. but anyways you know, no so it doesn't, like, there's no grace, <laughs> there's no redemption. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't know the whole 12 steps, but it seems like they only have five and a half of them. Um, well, they don't get to know, no, they don't even get to number four. They don't get to, uh, they don't get to making an inventory of all of your resentments and then figuring out your role, your yeah. role in everything and every situation and every person you resent. Yeah. No, they, there's no self introspection there. And th this is this is the problem. This is one really unfortunate problem with it is that if if white people are responsible for everything, that means we're going to learn responsibility. 
and you're excusing the capacity to be responsible from the victim. That is that is horrible. That is absolutely horrible. the The only way that I have gotten out of the the bad parts of my life, like when when I failed, when I my life collapsed, the only way out of that was to take responsibility for myself, find my ambition, and go forward. That's the only way I got out. It it creates a sarlacc pit of oppression where you just digested for four thousand years. You know, <laughs> Bubba Fett can't even get out of there because his <laughs> His jet fuel <laughs> white domination, you know, so that sucked out. By Wait, the way, I need to get my soul uh, in here to decipher this for me. <laughs> no, no, I love that you said a sarlacc pit of oppression, and it reminded me that you also said that there was a social justice Cthulhu at some point, which I thought was awesome. Um, so yeah, you get props for that. Someone, someone in chat asked, uh, uh, to a uh, Second Amendment self defense law asks, why isn't the university mm. system white supremacy? Uh, if everything's white supremacy, I guess, why isn't the university system white supremacy? Um, it is. It uh, is yeah, white supremacy. I think it is. They yeah. say it explicitly. There's this um, There's this talk that is given by Felix Brathith, who is the head of the TRIO program, which is about uh, incentivizing marginalized, whatever that means, students to get into college, right? It's basically an outreach program for low-income and minority students. And he has a bunch of these high schoolers come to the Evergreen State College campus, and this is 80 days before the protest. And they're all the he he's probably one of the most cringy public speakers. If you watch the series, you'll he he's just such a bad yeah, public. He's speaker. totally a cringe. But yeah. <laughs> so bad. It's amazing how bad he is, and everybody just kind of follows it. But the, the students aren't paying attention to him. But he's he keeps on showing these images of nineteen fifty-eight or fifty-seven, where you have black people being yelled at by white people and black people being chased by dogs and beat by police. And he, he keeps on flashing these images at them. And he says, you know what? My my grandparents went through the same thing on the Caribbean island of I can't Saint Croix, Saint Lacroix or something like that. And he said, one day, the queens of the island rose up and took it back. And just like those queens of the island, you have to resist this passive-aggressive bureaucracy that's doing the same thing that these dogs and police and white people were doing. And he's just putting it. And, and you see in the back of the freaking auditorium, there's a kid who ends up being one of the leaders of the protests. Like, like he, it's a direct tie between that. And so... Yes, all of this structure is white supremacy, but it as long as you aim it towards gaining resources, it, it you don't have to be consistent. Like the rules of consistency don't apply with regards to does one statement hold true and harmonize with another statement? That whole logic thing that, that you you totally disregard it. And I I kind of want to make a misstep by saying you see this a lot in feminist literature where they they don't they excuse themselves of being logically consistent because it's all about the goal of restoring some form of justice or restore or dismantling some sort of oppressive structure. And I bring up feminism because I was thinking of Samantha B a couple years ago. She goes on this tirade about these uh, these feminists made this Google list. Uh, about Me Too men that was crowdsourced, completely blind. You could just put the name of these bad men. There's no fact checking, and this document was circulated. And Samantha B was uh, 
she was excusing them with this crazy logic and 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 just two weeks ago or a week ago the la times published this list of theaters who were not saying quickly enough that black lives matter or saying it correctly yeah. enough that black lives matter it's like that's okay for these people to do it's okay and they excuse that because it's going towards one goal I, yeah. you're not making a misstep to, to draw that comparison to feminism because that's, that's the angle from which I joined SJW ideology. It's all these different um, issues, as you know, like under one umbrella. So some people come in through the feminism route, some people come in through the critical race theory or the Black Lives Matter route, some people from the LGBT route, but they're all arriving in the same place, intersectionality, yeah. right? Yeah. And... Um, and in it, that list, I, re- I remember the list you're talking about. I have seen in the past two weeks, the same thing is starting to happen. Uh, well, on digital media, on, on Facebook, there are groups now called Out Your Local Racist, where people are just posting people they don't that don't agree with them. It, there are people in there that haven't said anything other than, I don't believe this narrative. Here are some stats. And it's like, go get him, guys. Here where, here's where he works. And there's, there are Google Docs now. I saw an article about a Google Doc. Students are starting to do the same thing to their fellow classmates and try and get them thrown out of school. Yeah. And, there's, and, the, and there's no standard of, of yeah. evidence, of presenting evidence. It's just if you mm-hmm. post someone here, they are guilty, and the mob is going after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they justify, like you said, they justify all of that. Yeah. And th- there was that... All these different things that were totally offensive <laughs> four years ago are standard. And we were calling out, I was part, but there were people before me, like there was this calling out the social justice overreach and like, you know, Gamergate and stuff like that. And, and it, it was kind of petty and mocking stuff. But the problem that you have with these ideas is that if everybody adopts this, if every, and everybody will, if you allow your group to do this, every group's going to do this. And you just, with, with the whole privilege game with like, like let's inventory our privilege. Like the problem that I would have, and I would refuse to do that at Evergreen is because, well, what, what happens when I reduce everybody to that? And then everybody else reduces everything to that. It's like, okay, well, that means that I'm going to be with the white people, the white men, the guys with all the guns. Um, I would, Rather that not happen, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna initiate the process of, of being put into that group, um, and and I will resist it passively. Um, it, 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 it you you mentioned that uh, that umbrella. There was this really big rally. It was like like hundreds of thousands of people like celebrating Black Trans Lives Matter. Like there was that okay, Black Lives Matter, but now Black Trans Lives Matter, and you know the next one's going to be Disabled Black Trans Lives Matter, you know, yes. and then it'll probably be Bat Disabled D Trans Trans, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. there's this infinite yeah. string, and the question that I have is that they're playing, they're overplaying their hand because once there there are real issues with uh, the Black community in America. I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing. I could even say we need to have an outburst. We need people talking about this. I don't have a problem with that. But the way that they are extracting resources, once the black community is done with that, then the Asian community is going to have to do that. And then the uh, Latino community is going to have to do that. And then like the, the poor white people community. And not everybody can participate. Not everybody can do that. So what's the end game? And I don't think that they're thinking 
in an in-game sort of way. And that's why we need an MLK or a Malcolm X, like some leader to, yes. to actually give voice and channel this energy. And unfortunately, it's built in an Occupy Wall Street kind of uh, way, the Black Lives Matter organic kind of outgrowth of it. It doesn't, it's, it's decentralized. So you have these different radical communities that are just going to get as much as possible out of it before we pass on. And the bureaucrats are going to win in the end anyways. Yeah. You know, um, uh, really quickly, by the way, thanks, Jen, for the super chat. She says silence is violence, which reminds me of, you know, they they are they are trying to redefine things. Um, and mm. I wanted to uh, hone in on something that you said earlier. You used the phrase ways of knowing. Um, mm-hmm. And that phrase strikes yeah. me as is really odd because. Uh, it implies that that there's sort of I mean you hear the conservatives often talk about moral relativism, but applies some it, it implies that there's somehow this epistemological relativism. Uh, mm-hmm. What do they mean? Isn't what there? is what are ways of knowing? Uh, well, I, I, okay, I'm a postmodernist, right? I believe that there are different ways of knowing. There's different ways of plugging into people, and I like to express I myself in varying way. ways, We're like. I go, I go to the bank and I expect a certain sort of transaction at the bank. I go to my co-op and I, you know, try to do my best to ignore the patchouli and, and I have a, you know, relationship with the hummus, you know, there, you know. Uh, I go through my life and I look at the story that, 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 that is building itself around me and I think about that and I tell it to myself and then I listen to the stories around me. I, I ingest a lot of different media. I watch a science fiction story that has a one world that operates this way. Then I watch a rom-com that, that constructs a different way of knowing, a way of examining, a way of looking at human relationships. And then I go and I I ignore math, but I know math is there. And if I wanted to engage with math, I would have to reformulate the entire way that I'm plugging into that material. I think human beings aren't just one thing. We're a continuum. We're, we're a nest of different kind of entities and hungers and desires and stuff like that. The, the question is, what is a framework that can harmonize all these disparate ways of knowing? And the problem with postmodernism is that it requires a lot of patience and humility and attention to all these different ways of knowing and trying to figure out what is appropriate to what thing. What the post-postmodernists, or the, I, I think of it as there's Jedi postmodernism and Sith postmodernism. And Jedi postmodernism wants to take all the power, all the force, and just play with it and put it together and disassemble it and, and make it make things in the world. The Sith form of postmodernism reduces it all into the common denominator, probably the highest common denominator, which would be this, the struggle for power. Right? It reduces everything to power. So what you do is you use all these different ways of knowing to extract resources, to extract moral authority or money authority or any other thing. Like you just you go through, you de- you dismantle these systems of oppression in order to to kind of leech the energy of that dismantling, and then they they don't talk about what do you do after everything's dismantled. But I would assume put themselves on top. Like you're, you're the 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 thing is is like you need to. You need to dismantle and mantle, you know, and and those are two other ways of knowing, you know. So the question is, what is the one attitude or kind of uh, constellation of values that allows you to interact with this 
diversity of experiences, these diversity of cultures, and this diversity of drives and hungers, and all and and cumulatively produce a good self, a good family, a good neighborhood, a good, you know, like just a, a well-functioning, just, righteous, you know, community that, that stacks up. What is that one way of knowing that can constellate every other way of knowing? I don't know. I think that religion was really good at tying all those different ways of knowing together, like Christianity was good at tying the uh, the priestly class and the monks and the and all the and the peasants and the kings. Everybody was had a place in that strata. We, we had liberalism. Liberalism was really uh, susceptible. The Enlightenment is really susceptible to people who want something stronger than this kind of removed aesthetic experience. This, this detached academic way of viewing the world is very susceptible to saying some, to, to this whole, we're going to use it for power. Because we want to feel something. We want to know something. And, and the scientific inquiry doesn't allow you to know anything. It doesn't allow you to be certain. It, it, you have to postulate humility constantly. You have to have a relationship with ignorance, a positive relationship with ignorance. That's very difficult. And when you have a populace that has been denied critical thinking, they cannot sustain that. So they go into what, what feels good and what, what matters to them. There's a lot there, which I don't think we need to uh, unpack and go down. But uh, I guess stepping back just a moment, um, what I'm hearing from you is, uh, you know, I guess what you're saying with ways of knowing, I'm, I'm viewing it as ways of relating to the world or understanding the world. Okay, okay, that's, that's fine. Um, but in terms of humans interacting with one another, there needs to be some uh, <laughs> agreed upon mm. standard for hey, mm -hmm. is the sky blue or not? How do we talk about it? How do we measure it? How do we agree on this fact of the universe or not? And it seems like there's a breakdown yeah. there between what, I don't know if you would call it uh, the scientific method mm -hmm. or enlightenment uh, way of having that conversation and what's happening on campuses and now in the streets, which is, I feel X, therefore you need to, I feel offended, Brett, therefore you are offensive. Right or therefore you yeah. must change yeah. change your because my feeling is there's there's almost a uh, it it's almost that there's like a a metaphysical relativism. My reality is that I was offended, and your reality is that you weren't intending to offend, and my reality trumps your reality. QED. Yeah. Well, isn't that because the the value set that is active there is has some thing to do with the safety i guess like like there's a moral value that's at play there like that car that care harm kind of matrix like that but is it's not actual we're safety, seeing right they're just they're using the word safety but they're not actually not yeah. safe but but everybody's susceptible to that way of thinking or seeing because that is the dominant moral foundation of yes. what's going on like that's the that's the dominant frame it's that we avoid uh we avoid harm and care as much as possible and we care more and we allocate our care according to who's more harmed or har harmed right and that incentivizes un unfortunately and they don't think this through it incentivizes people to be harmed because right. then they get that resource of care yes. like there's there's it, it's lopsided it's a lopsided morality so that, that's how I would see that particular uh, way of knowing.
acting itself. I'm, I'm gonna. You're making me think of um, Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind. Yeah, yeah we talks. Correct. Yeah, the care harm principle is something. If you guys haven't read it, we did that in book club. Uh, but if you're new to the channel, you should definitely check that book out. I think you'll. I think you'll enjoy it, especially if you if you like what Benjamin's talking about right now. Real quick, um, Little Ragamuffin sent a super chat. Thank you, Little Ragamuffin. She says, uh, SJW logic is fluid. It will follow the path of least resistance and devour everything in its path. Um, I don't actually know what that means exactly. Are you fluid? I'm 70% fluid. Yes, <laughs> me too. I don't see why an mostly, ideology can't be. Do you mean ugly water? Ugly bags of mostly water. Yes, yes, we all are. Yes. But, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, uh, the other thing that this is doing is, you know, you're talking about they're incentivizing, uh, incentivizing feeling harmed. And mm -hmm. the other thing that th th is happening here is there's incentive to, um, there's, I, I actually see incentives to uh, misrepresent reality, uh, maybe for the purpose of being harmed uh, or, mm -hmm. or, or appearing mm -hmm. harmed. Uh, there also seems mm -hmm. to be incentives to be aggressive because or a little bit of aggression like a little bit of a little bit of sleight of hand with lying a little bit of sleight of hand with aggression you'll see it like you know when they described oh the police maced us well it's a small lie they didn't mace you you didn't just like it's not a huge yeah. lie but it's a lie uh the intimidation is like small amount of aggression but when you set up a system that incentivizes yeah. uh, a little bit of lying and a little bit of aggression the biggest liar and bigger aggressor ends up winning at the end of the day. Like that's the inevitable yeah, conclusion yeah. of this. That that's the same. <clears throat> that's the same criticism that's levied against uh, meritocracy, though, because meritocracy is not perfect. If if everybody works hard, they don't all get ahead. You can't just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know and that that takes a really short, narrow way uh, way of looking at human society. Because I think we've set up a society in aggregate that if everybody acts as though merit is what we are going to base everything on. It will largely, even though the liars will get ahead, the cheats will get ahead in every system that keeps most people honest. So this system of social justice, it doesn't keep most people honest. It right. robs you of your personal responsibility because you are just a part of like this cosmic game of pool that through history the, of oppression and privilege is banging against each other. You just happen to be another ball on the table, right? So, so it doesn't, it doesn't call forth honesty. It doesn't call forth whether or not it's an illusion of free will. You don't have any free will. And I don't care if free will exists or not. I get ahead and I feel better with myself and I can actually engage with value if I believe that that's true. And if I'm in a community of people who believe that you have responsibility for your actions, there's no responsibility because, because the responsibility is thrust upon history. Again, like I said at the very beginning, it's taking this bird's eye sociological view of of identity groups, and it's trying to implement that on the individual level, and and that completely degrades when you have people who are not interested in interacting on a 
sociological level want to implement this right now, whether for personal gain or for justice. We want justice right now. We are in a righteous cause. So honesty, fuck that. Fuck that. That's a civilized white form of knowledge. You want me to fill out a form and complain again? That didn't do anything the last time I did that. In fact, look at all these examples when it didn't do anything, when it actually, you know, like the preponderance of evidence actually supported the the perpetrator and, and forced the victim to go on with their life, right? So, right. Right. I, I so, want to ask you a question about. Can I? Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, so, Carrie, you're you're very so, quiet all of a sudden for me. Anyway, oh, I don't know why. Give us uh, some power, Carrie. Okay, let me get closer to the microphone. I don't know why. Um, I, I wanted to ask you. We talked about some of the similarities between the meltdown, what I consider the meltdown and the madness at Evergreen, and the madness that's happening around us now. What were some of the? What was some of the fallout at Evergreen? Like what? What? What might we be able to expect? What? Not the. Not you don't have a crystal ball, but I yeah, know Evergreen yeah. has suffered in a number of ways. One of which is a really sharp decline in enrollment. Yeah. Which is ironic, right? The, yeah. I've brought this up before. They were prophetic. It was. It was prophecy. The whole thing is prophecy. Bridges. George Bridges was right. He was right. Racism is the most important topic of our time, right? Jamil and R and all these protesters to America, they were right to stand up and, and force this institution to pay for sins of, of institutions past. Um, and the whole thing worked out the same way, in a way. And if you look at the people who survived, who are still there, they have a completely different narrative than I do. Uh, there was a, they, they had commencement uh, graduation ceremony this last Friday and Saturday and Bridges gave the same speech he gave in 2015 about racism being the most important topic of the day and my prophet my first professor gave a uh, like a, a graduation speech where she talked about the protest as you know students really wanting us to change and and how we we celebrated that they they incorporated that they see that as just they see these protests as indicative of a system of of oppression that needs to change this is a this is a moment where we need to reckon with this one topic and filter it through this one this is my problem with it. Filter it through this one lens that I don't think is helpful at all. So what what was the fallout? America's this is this is the question. Evergreen lost enrollment because people had better options. If you want to learn how to be a social justice progressive, you look at what Evergreen produces, and they aren't really efficient. Actually, they made big fools of themselves. I want to fight for justice, but that was going too far. So I'm just going to go up to any other college now. You can learn that stuff exclusively anywhere. If you want to learn something else, you're going to have a hard time nowadays. So what, what's the fallout of that? Our major institutions of media, of, uh, of academia, and then of uh, a lot of these companies, they're all going to get on board with this and there's nowhere else to go with our money. So they're just going to, a bunch of leeches are going to pop up. Um, uh, but nevertheless, the authority to the average person of the New York Times, towards the New York Times, like the, the authority of the New York Times is going to take a big hit. The authority of the Academy is going to take a big hit, whether whether in five years or in 25 years. They're, they're blowing it all right now for this cause, and they're not really thinking it through. So I think ultimately it's going to be the collapse or the dumbing down of the efficiency of a lot of these institutions, whoever... Yes 
is possessed by this is going to degrade the quality of their their product, whether it's education or or a widget that you buy. It's all going to be degraded because it's going to be filtered through this lens that has nothing to do with whatever particular service that they're offering. You know, um, by the way, Kentonu for Truck and Chat says trade schools don't have these crazy issues. I don't know. Maybe they will soon if they don't. If they don't, they already, will. They, they in Washington, they they're already having it. They're, yeah, they're already um, there. But I, I, it seems like now's a time, because, because I, it's a minority of people. I think even though even though they're very vocal, it's a minority of people who support this way of educating, or at least. At least it's certainly not, uh, there's certainly a plurality of people who don't support it. Let's put it that way. Uh, it seems mm-hmm. like now's the time for a university to stand up and explicitly reject this or, or for someone to found a university doing this. And I know University of Chicago had, had a statement that was pretty uh, clear about not having safe spaces. And, you know, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Are there places that you know of? that are standing up to this and saying, no, we need, we need to have open dialogue. We need to have freedom of speech. We need to challenge each other with ideas um, and not, you mm. know, shut down discourse. You know what? Going back to an earlier question about why I'm resistant to this, you know, um, it's because I just despise institutions. <laughs> I just hate them no matter what they're for. It's like, I want to be alone. I want to do my own thing. So you ask me that question of like, they're, they're going to corrupt you one way or another. They're, they're stains on the human race that we unfortunately have to have, you know, because I, I benefit from institutions, but I, I try to back away. So I don't, I don't know. I think that ultimately my guidance for people is if you can't confront somebody who believes this directly, just create content that gives them a place to think about it that's not confrontational, right? Like, and that's why when I when I went to another topic of exploration, I just interviewed people. I didn't go in there with a set of ideas about what gender is, what sexuality is, what what feminism is. I'm like, let's talk about sex, baby, you know, and, and I just asked other people. And I produced a, a broad amount of content of just people talking about their experiences. If we can recenter, and I'm shifting the conversation, I'm sorry, but if we recenter like uh, the a way of knowing that's more akin to the novel rather than the tweet, more akin to this is a story and my my life took place over a series of events where I had some suppositions that were confronted with data and I slowly changed. And, and now I either was right and better at being right or I was wrong and I'm closer to being right. And going, shifting the discourse around this uh, this kind of this way of knowing that that's very reduced into these statements into like the, the thought, the opinion, the idea is something that, that a person has. Like, like I possess the thought, the thought doesn't possess me. What we see now is people being possessed by this thought where they're yes. going around saying that racism is in everything. It's the defining characteristic of our society and everything in our life. And it's like, no, 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 no. Okay. Let's talk about that Sunday that you had. Like, let's go, let's go through it. Let's pull it out, you know? So that, that way of plugging into each other more akin to a character in a play or a novel rather than somebody at a podium. I love this. Yeah. Well, it definitely requires a just an ounce of nuance, I guess. In, in and and, and to, to, to push it back to your thing, is if we have institutions filled with individuals, right, 
that are speaking on their own, that will be the way forward. We need a majority of individuals standing up to these institutions that would reduce them into identities. That's the thing. If we all go back to that, that, that I, I work, I'm exchanging myself for this job for, for something that has nothing to do with saving the world. We're not here to save the world. I'm not here to save the world. I'm here to do my job and and try to make the world better in this one small way. Yeah. Right. And that not to say that racism isn't something that we can uh, don't confront. I I'm kind of tired of it. I think that I, I think that it's really thin and it's really ripe for for abuse um, because people can't really get their head around it. They just assemble all these little instances of people being rude to them or or actual disparity, and then they make this big story out of it that that they can't actually act out without acting out. I, I want to plug something real quick before I forget. <clears throat> um, Heterodox Academy is mm. somebody mentioned it in chat, and, the, and it's an organization created by Jonathan Haidt, who we mentioned earlier with the Righteous Mind. And it's an, it's a great resource uh, if you're an educator, administrator, if you're a parent who has kids in school or is looking at where and consider weighing options on where to send your kids for school. Um, I would definitely check it out. It's heterodoxacademy.org. Just wanted to plug that. Yep. Before I, Maybe now's you. a good time to go through a couple of super chats that people want to make some comments here. Um, to a self-defense law says, uh, the great obstacle to discovery is an ignorance. It's the illusion of knowledge. What you think you know will prevent you from learning what you should know. Um, mm. Yes. They're, they're definitely, I mean, that's... I don't know about that. I, oh, I don't, you don't know about that? You know, Tell me. About it, I, was then. Trying, I was trying to practice what he was preaching. What do you mean? Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> it went right over my head. Oh. <laughs> I get it. Sorry, I'm a bit slow today. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, and we, hold on, we have one other comment that I want to bring up from Loquacious Primate. I guess we're all Loquacious mm. Primates. That's uh, in Sex, Ecology, Spirituality, Ken Wilber talked about many of these issues with postmodernism and identity politics in the 19... 90s but he also incorporates a spiritual framework into the picture i have no idea what loquacious primate is referring yeah. to but maybe you do uh i i don't i can't get into i think it's integral theory where he talks about different stages of uh group behavior and different stages of enlightenment and how every successive uh development of human society builds on and excludes in a weird way what it precedes and his theory is that postmodernism is is excluding the enlightenment in order to achieve equality and and what we need to do in order to get past that is to integrate every level of of group behavior including the tribal including like the the most rudimentary and and constellating them all into a into a hierarchy that's a big ask a lot of people are not enlightened and i think pushing enlightenment is what the social justice people are trying to do and it backfires because we just need a system where where people can honestly make mistakes and and have have their pet bigotries like everybody should should be allowed like one bigotry you know like where they cannot be canceled and they can just express their <laughs> bullheadedness in whatever way they want everybody gets one you know and they can only like put it in this like one bigotry space like over there that's funny no to, that's probably a bad to, idea i don't know i mean what, uh what my bigotry would be um, I, I think i've got it <laughs> no i'm, I'm just I, I i i like what you said about 
having room to be wrong or to make mistakes. Mm. And it feels like, um, you know, people can have wrong ideas and wrong opinions. Uh, and there was a, I don't, maybe I'm just being nostalgic, but it seems like in the past you could be criticized for it, but you wouldn't be, you might be socially ostracized a little bit. Like certain people might not want to be friends with you, I guess. And that, that I think is healthy pressure, but you wouldn't be at risk of your entire livelihood being lost and, and then even having a hyperbolic, uh, um, caricature of you, uh, spread around to especially now with the internet literally everyone um Mm -hmm. so you know there's there you're right there is no room for failure there's no room for warts uh and for like overcoming them and and kind of gently and slowly working with someone over time who actually does have uh some wrong way of thinking to slowly steer Mm -hmm. them with compassion you know towards uh you know, t- towards something more, yeah. I'll call it rational, but more just and moral. And it reminds me of, Carrie, who's that guy who, there was the black guy who converted KKK members. It's like, that could never happen Darryl now. Davis. not allowed to talk to them. Daryl Davis. Yeah, yeah. Your, your guilt by association, he couldn't, he actually has been targeted by SJW's Daryl Davis. They oh. don't like him. Oh, I didn't yes. know. <laughs> they, they, they've been his theory. Yeah. They, they disprove his theory that human beings are actually virtuous individuals who who start narrow and grow bigger. Like the, the social justice, the progressive, whatever this is, and I'm sorry if you believe in this stuff and, and you can see the good in it, but there's there's this hubris of being able to see the truth for all time and be able to, to stamp your truth on all of history. And it's totalizing. It's totalitarian yes. in the way that you behave when you're doing this. Yeah. And and you you cannot sustain it. It will devour you way before you implement it. It's, you know, yeah. it's simultaneously it, it, uh, narcissistic uh, in, in its presumption of omniscience, but also at the, but it's at the same time, uh, they speak in a way in which, which absolves them of all responsibility or e- even agency, right? So one thing that struck Carrie and I a few times the is blame. how they, they use black bodies as a description of themselves. And I was thinking about why that is. And my, my latest theory is a body has no agency. And black minds implies that, like, oh, you have a choice and can be doing something. A black body just gets moved about because it's just a, it's an inanimate, it sounds like an inanimate object. And I'm wondering, uh, it's interesting that these two things coexist, this, like, uh, abdication of responsibility and, and agency, while at the same time basically claiming omniscience. Yeah. They put themselves in the place of God in my opinion, I'm a pretty new believer, Benjamin, and um, Carter and I, it's interesting to do this show with Carter because you have this like kind of newbie Christian perspective and then Carter's the atheist perspective, but we have such a big overlap in uh, our our founding principles of, you know, that we can disagree on these other very large things and that's okay. But so anyway, the audience, the part of our audience that's not Christian is used to tolerating me saying stuff about what I'm about, to, like I'm about to say. <laughs> I just, I think they, it, like you said, it's omniscience. They put themselves in the position of God or they try to, and you're going to fail in that position. You don't know everything. You're not all powerful. <laughs> it's a, it's a real arrogance. They, even the way that they, they um, look back at the past 
and pretend and lie to themselves that like they somehow would have been this supreme being at that at those previous times in history that they would not have gone along with the mob with the awful things the mob or the majority went along with and i'm like your behavior today is is shows me that that's not true because you are going along with the mob you Mm -hmm. are going along with the majority you are going along with an evil ideology but you put yourself on this pedestal as if you know you know better than any anyone in the past people it's you're you you were right to mention humility earlier because i think it's a real lack a real lack of humility leads to you don't have time to be humble you have you have to save the world right now people are dying on the streets every time they walk outside the door they're slaughtered by the police it's happening right now nine or ten times a minute right like there's no there's no time for that yeah you know Um, but the, the question I'm no. You're reminding me of there. There was that. There was one professor who was saying something like, "Every time I go outside, I have to worry about getting killed." And it was like, "What are you talking about? You don't live in South Central LA. Like, I, what are you? What are you talking about?" But that's none of that's questioned. It is this sense of like urgent catastrophe. Everything. Yeah. 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 And what? And what's the what's the feedback mechanism for a moral panic? That's the problem. Mm. Like we. <laughs> We have to preserve our little life rafts of, of discourse that can play around with ideas and challenge ideas. The the tide's going to come through. I think it, it's 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 such a big. We're, we're looking at a such a big momentous movement that it's going to have to wash itself out. It might be years, right? The the, the moral feed the the feedback mechanism to to show whether these ideas are right or not it, because it, they're happening all at once everywhere. It's going to be disastrous. I, I maybe, and I don't mean that in a despairing way. I think it's going to actually need to prove itself as destructive by destroying, hopefully, just property and not human lives. Hopefully, careers and not actual human lives. But even even those, I, I despair over every little price it's paying. But it's going to have to be like like you were saying earlier, like. Like what made you wake up? It's like oh, look at me. Look at the people who are, I I believe with. Look at my faith community destroying other people. Like like that wake up. It's either you watch it happen to somebody else or it comes after you. Yeah. And and what we need to do is provide content for people, uh, in a in a way a safe space for people to, to <laughs> kind of like to detox and to think through and to deprogram themselves. By, by interacting with the world in a, in a more adult, ultimately more mature frame of mind. Can you give us a Star Wars analogy to oh, tell no. us to get, <laughs> where is that, that's what you were, I'm so ignorant, but that's what you were dropping earlier, right? Can you drop some kind of Star Wars analogy that about the light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> oh, well, um, the, ultimately the Star Wars uh, nine trilogy, I don't know what the uh, nine part series is called. They, they succumb to the darkness of horrible writing. So <laughs> they, they do indeed. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think, unfortunately, uh, the writers of Game of Thrones, you know what they did to season eight? Did you yes, guys watch that? I did. That's what's going to happen. Yes. Like, like we we are not only in the darkest timeline. We're in the darkest timeline with the worst possible fucking writers writing. <laughs> so it's just gonna it's gonna be a disaster. Not only 
like just everybody's going to feel bad about it and wish it didn't happen. Like it's not <laughs> just that the rubble of civilizations right there. It's like, did we have to like the, the, the reasons weren't really that good to begin with to do this, guys? Well, there's so, my analogy. Thank you, thank you for. It was a Game of Thrones it. analogy, but I think it'll pass. It'll be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I mean, I guess Benjamin, is there is there any other any kind of final thoughts for our audience on? How they should be looking at um, how they should be mm-hmm. looking at what's happening outside of Evergreen, um, yeah, and and how they should maybe respond to it in a way that minimizes, to use yeah. a leather language, to minimize harm, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that the best thing to do is to keep your tabs on it, but don't let it drown you. Like really foster relationships with yourself and other people that engage with the world in a way where it's not falling apart, you know, and, and, you know, <laughs> this is so social justice like it's self-care. You really got to practice it, it, you know, <laughs> you need to have your little room filled with coloring books and, uh, and ice pops, you know, you got to do it, you know, and if that's, uh, you know, like some sort of uh, interaction with some high math atheistic text or, or a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, Catholicism on the side, just go out there and with the fumes of the sensor, you know, and, and just immerse yourself in that. Like really, really remember that we are not, we're not entities that are, that are in this pitched battle of good and evil. <laughs> like, like that is a good way to frame your life. If you want to have a short life, a short and really powerful life, go ahead and go down that route. But there's so much little subtle things in the world that we lose sight of when we get involved with this magnificent and massive sort of storytelling. So go into it, but pull yourself out. And when you're interacting with it, because it's coming for you, ask little questions of the person. Try to get them to tell it in a story. Try to get people to really work it out. How do I actually perform this? If I have all this privilege, what do I do? And can I pay it off? Or is it always with me? Or how many generations do we have? before? Like, here's my first, yeah, you want my first son or, or my first daughter? Like, is this prima nocta, you know? Or what, what are we doing? Should, I, you know, like, ask should for just happen now? Should I just, yeah. <laughs> I want to say something to tag on to this because I just saw in chat Ken and Midwestern Girl are both like, oh, no, this made me feel worse. And I'm trying not to let this recolor my rose colored glasses. Look, I think what you're saying, Benjamin, is that um, that, yes, things. Well, anyway, this is what I believe. Things are going to get dark for a while. But what I believe is 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 also like you're saying, like step away from this at times. You need to step away from it. And I view it as a destructive ideology. And one of the ways that you can counter it without even having to talk about it is create, create things, whatever that is in your life. And that's that's self-care, whether you're growing things, you know, doing a garden, whether you're creating a family, you're working on a project or career or you know you're making something you're adding something to the world instead of trying to tear things down i think that's that's necessary so i'm trying to i try i try to tie it with an optimism bow at the end you're witnessing what i do <laughs> like, it's all gonna be okay guys yeah i always i'm the one who always ends with we're all doomed and carrie's like but there's really good cake uh so the cake is a lie. But the cake is a lie. Yes, yes. The cake is a lie. In fact, that's the last line of our end credits, which will roll soon. So. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. I am a portal nerd. 
So, uh, well, Benjamin, uh, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it, and uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. I absolutely recommend everyone go check out his channel, um, which is Benjamin A. Boyce on YouTube, and check out the uh, series on Evergreen. And I haven't seen your series on, uh, I'll call radical trans ideology, I guess, for lack of... Uh, uh, gender, sexuality, and transition, basically. Okay. It's, it's a series of interviews with researchers, psychologists, trans people, detrans people, uh, just just a whole bunch of voices. Okay, cool. So that sounds like something uh, to it's... check out as well. And um, again, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We'll put links to all of your social media stuff in, in the show notes. Benjamin, can you show uh, your favorite hat My before nipple? you leave? No, your My hat! <laughs> 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 Can you no! You guys just have to see what he treated us with when we oh. when we joined. He definitely has us carry on the hats. Oh, oh there you go. Got... Wait, we're missing the... <laughs> your green screen's oh, cutting off your... Oh. Uh... Yeah, there you go. I dig it. I dig it. Thank you. Thank cool. you. Yeah, thanks for, for having me, guys. Uh, All right. Well, to... Thanks. Take care, Benjamin. All right, guys. Ciao. Thank you, Benjamin.